Aloha! This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Freddie Williams II, co-creator and artist on The Bequested from Aftershock Comics. Now let's get started. Freddie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey Jason, how are you? And I'm really happy to, to be on the show with you chatting. And for, for those at home, it's 11 o'clock here, but it's 6 a.m. in Hawaii. <laughs> so Jason got up super early to accommodate my schedule. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, and um, we'll, we'll get to chit chat and I'll get to reminisce about what it was like to be there a little over a year ago. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay. Freddie, I'm going to, I have to say, you know, um, thank you very much for doing this interview. You know. Um, you know, just like I said, thank you very much for this doing this interview. I reached out to you last month when I heard that the, um, that you're going to be doing the um, the bequest um, comic book series for, from Aftershock. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for doing this interview. And I'm also going to give a brief history of like how I mean Freddie, and also I met your wife Kiki. Um, <laughs> we met briefly last year at um, Comic Con Aloha 2020 last February. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so it's yeah a lot has changed since then <laughs> <laughs> so much has changed it would be easier to name the things that haven't changed i guess um but yeah it was that was a great show that was our first show in any of the islands and uh kiki and i loved it and it was great meeting you and chatting with you we did a brief interview uh with you there you know just like a i was about to say a one-on-one but i guess it was there was a lot more people in the room than uh <laughs> technically <laughs> um, um but yeah i'm I'm happy um uh, to have a chance to chat with you and stuff and um uh you occasionally will will chit chat and email and stuff and you'll send us these really nice um videos that we like because it reminds us of uh really pleasant times when we were there in hawaii so um anyway yeah let's let's chat about bequest and anything else that you got in mind no thank freddie thank you very much for the kind word thank you very much so, Fred, just for any of our new listeners, can I ask you, can you just give a brief origin background story of, you know, about yourself? Just a brief background. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Freddie Williams II. I'm a comic book artist, mainly for DC Comics. I've done some work for uh, Marvel, but just a little bit, and uh, quite a bit of work for IDW, which does like G.I. Joe and um, Transformers and the Ninja Turtles and stuff. So, um, but I broke into comic books in 2005 with, um, with DC Comics through a talent search there. And since then I drew Robin and the Flash um, and a bunch of other stuff that no one's ever heard of. And then um, in 2015, I got to draw Batman Ninja Turtles, which was a crossover between DC Comics and IDW. It's pretty unheard of that big companies do big crossovers like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that led, Batman Ninja Turtles led to He-Man Thundercats. And then that led to more Batman Ninja Turtles, then to Injustice versus Masters of the Universe and then even more Batman Ninja Turtles. So uh, that's how most people would know me. I also wrote a book called The DC Comics Guide to Digitally Drawing Comics. Um, even though I don't do all my work digital, I still do like layouts and stuff digital, but um, those are, that's my basic history, my basic rundown. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, so I'm going to um, kind of tie it up where basically you're known as that crossover guy, if I remember <laughs> yeah. from, your, from your website. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> I added that kind of as a joke, but it's totally true. Yeah, most people at conventions back when we had conventions before a pandemic um, would say, oh, yeah, you're that crossover guy. And I'm happy to be known like that because I, you know, I just named some crossovers and then I did a bunch of um, 
covers for like Transformers versus Terminator and um, uh, something called First Strike, which had uh, G.I. Joe Transformers, uh, Rom the Space Knight and Mask, you know, and, and just a lot of other stuff like that, um, which I'm um, a couple of Ghostbusters with Ninja Turtles covers that I collaborated with Kevin Eastman. So um, I love that kind of stuff. I'm really happy I'm getting to play in these sort of uh, sandboxes. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to be known as the crossover guy. So I'm going to ask from that point on, because like, you know, we already mentioned that, you know, last year when I met you at Comic-Con Aloha back in February, um, yeah. you were basically, you guys were almost what, in the middle of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it a, a nine week convention schedule or was it a six weeks? Who, <laughs> uh, you have a, you have a good memory. It was, it was something like that. Cause I'm not sure myself at this point, um, what we were supposed to be doing was, and we, we got through the very, like a third of the leg of this big convention thing. It was like, we did uh, a show in Canada and then the Hawaii show, um, then one in Texas. Then we traveled out of the country for um, Australia to two back-to-back -back shows there. And then right after, you know, while we were there, yes. it was announced that they were closing all everything down. So uh, quarantine was going to start shortly after that. And we barely made it back to the U.S. And then when we got back, all of the shows that we had planned after that were canceled and that was about another 10 shows i think for the year so it was going to be our busiest year for conventions and everything you know just like with everyone else everything got you know sh um, scuttled everything got shut down so um it was going to be like a show a week every week for five or six um Geez, I'm not sure. I would actually have to look back because it's been so long. I'm not oh, sure, yeah. but it was something like that. Yeah, it was very busy going to be. Yeah, yeah. Because and and I'm gonna and if you don't mind, because I listened to the Spoiler Country podcast that was dated back um in back in July of last year. You know, uh -huh. um, it, and and you can say no to this, but can I ask? You know, how did you know? Not only did the convention stop for you guys, you know, for you, you know. Yeah. You know, can I ask you how did it, you know, affect you guys in 2020? Oh wow! It it affected us in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It um so other than the conventions, which was obviously going to be a really big part of our life, just traveling around and all this. Um, aside from that, um, on the uh, I guess more disruptive side of things, um, I had another crossover book that was lined up that actually got canceled. Um, while we were still in Australia uh, and that I, I'm hoping that still will, that could be revitalized or be resurrected. So I'm not going to name the title of it, but it was two, uh, two other properties still for DC comics and stuff. And um, it, it like, I had gotten an email from my editor while I was in Australia and he was like, well, we're, we're going to, you know, we'd already been talking about the, the crossover. And he was, he said something like, um, can you give me the schedule for the rest of your conventions for this year? So we can kind of plan around that. And, mm -hmm. um, and then like two days later, he wrote me back and said, you know, why, uh, you know, why would we be canceling it and everything? So, um, anyway, uh, then aside from that, um, so, so like when I returned to the States, it was like all of our conventions were canceled and I didn't have a gig. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was a bunch of original art purchases. This is all like very sort of behind the curtain, you know, just real realistic ways that it affected us. Um, there were a lot of original art collectors that were either talking about purchasing some original art or had begun at like a payment plan where they make monthly payment plans. Uh, and then 
understandably, they got concerned and decided to either put things on hold or to back out entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, let's see. Then uh, now on the so that all that's like pretty disruptive. And we, uh, I mean, luckily we had you know savings and stuff that we just basically lived off of and I just did whatever other projects that I had in the background. I did have a whole bunch of warm up pieces that I'm just now sort of like putting out and and online and stuff. Um and then on the positive side, we took that as an opportunity. We've been talking about moving for a while, Kiki mm-hmm. and I have been um and the last five or six years have been so crazy with deadlines. Um well, who am I kidding? I guess like the last 10 years have been crazy with deadlines, but uh that we'd never have the chance really to address whether we'd actually move. And if so, all the, there's just so much to doing that. So um, we took that opportunity to, you know, we have a dead zone technically um, and we're not crazy under deadline. So why don't we just, you know, if we're going to move, let's move. So we put together all the stuff that we'd need to, such as, you know, uh, like a list of having to do whatever repairs to the house and then um, getting it listed and then that sold incredibly fast at the time we didn't realize that there was such a big you know uh, whatever is happening right now in the real estate market seems pretty nuts the you know houses are selling like crazy mm-hmm. and then yeah we sold and then um, uh, now we're I don't know just everything in the last year everything has changed like my the, the types of you know like no conventions different types of jobs because now I'm doing creator own work which is stuff that, I, that I'm happy to do but it's just a very different animal and then a different place that we're living, just everything <laughs> is different. But I, I'm gonna say, Freddie, thank you very much for you know sharing that because the thing is, I just wanted to give the listeners an idea, you know, that during the shutdown, not only, you know, we're, you know, we just, I wanted to give a background, an idea of how as an art, you know, you as an artist, how did, how did that affect you? Because I just don't want, you know, listeners to go, oh, well, you know, they got tons of money or, or you know, I'm sure someone's gonna, contact them to do commissions but you know but thank you for you know sharing that yeah and it over time yeah and and it's you know mentally it's a struggle you know psychologically of just not knowing what's going to happen next um there was um you know there's there's a distribution network that's used usually to to distribute uh comic books that's called diamond and Mm -hmm. for for their own reasons i'm sure some of which are good and whatever i just don't know uh, they decided to stop uh, all distribution, even at the very, very early stages of the pandemic, yes. which create like this weird, it's like, um, you know, if you're somebody who wants to buy comic books from a comic book shop, you're interacting with people. And then that was like discouraged or everything was, was closed down. So then the distributor who would ship comics, there is like, wait, should we even be shipping anything? So wait, wait, mm-hmm. you know, everything gets put on hold everyone. And so Lots of books got canceled that were in early stages, such as mine. Um, people who were just starting their books did the. Some of them might have. Some of you might have seen like a hashtag called "Pencils Down," yes. where just lots of. Lot, it was just so disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, you know, even though um, most of the comic book artists still work, you know, all of us work from home, or most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's there's a a different mindset to. I'm working from home, but outside the world is normal. Yes. versus I'm working at home and I cannot leave and I don't know what's going to happen in the following months. So um, like Kiki and I, who work together all the time anyway, we were pretty cozy in our normal work environment. Um, but it just was like a, a, I don't know, just the uncertainty. Just, mm-hmm. uh, just weird, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, and 
And the thing is, I'm going to kind of give um, listeners a time frame too. what, you know, because yesterday, March 23rd, Lucas, the owner of Dragon's Air, is a comic shop that I go to. He reminded me that yesterday was like the first anniversary that Oahu went into lockdown. So basically, you know, his his shop was affected, um, you know, um, and then when Diamond stopped, you know, sending out comics, you know, um, you know, that was, I'm, you know, not only his shop, but another shop that I also go to, you know, it caused a little uncertainty. Uh, but I think what's really good was that for both um, you and Kiki, you guys took that opportunity and then um, worked it into something good where it's like, hey, you know, we have time now, you know, let's try to, let we need to do some other stuff like moving and so forth. So that, you know, I, that's really great that you took that time, you know, sort of that, that, that little break to do that. Yeah, if there's, you know, whatever the situation is, look for a way to make the best of it. Um, so a, a small version of that would be, you know, we get tornadoes here in the Midwest quite a bit. Um, and this is like such a weird thing to talk about in an interview. Um, but to, you know, like when we're going into like the storm shelter type area, the basement or the safe room or whatever you have, um, I always take, um, you know, either a list of stuff that I have to answer in emails so I can be typing while I'm, <laughs> while I'm cramped in there waiting for a tornado to kill us. Or uh, I'll take like a page that I can just do inks on that don't require, because sometimes there's just like noodling sort of rendering that you can do that doesn't require a whole lot of brain power, um, mm-hmm. but it just takes a lot of time. Um, so that's like a small microcosm of it. But if there's, you know, when bigger events happen in your life, assuming that you have the sort of mental bandwidth to deal with it, which is a challenge, um, and, and we don't always succeed, you know, Kiki and I don't always succeed. Uh, it, it's at, you know, it's good to at least try to make some sort of positive out of it. So, um, and, and that's actually how the creator own um, bequests came about because we, um, Tim Seeley and I, yeah. Tim Seeley is the co-creator and the writer on bequest. Um, he and I worked together on injustice versus masters of the universe and had a really good time, you know, getting to know each other and just, we enjoyed working with each other. Um, and so since so many projects were being canceled, we were like, you know, we have no control over what diamond does. We have no control over what DC comics or Marvel comics does, but we can control hopefully, um, making a cool product that a publisher later can either sign on to, or if we can find a publisher early, but you know, you, there's a lot of work that can happen without having a a distribution network set up at that time, assuming that it'll eventually open back up. But even if not, there's direct sales where you, you know, through fulfillment centers and stuff can, can also try to make that distribution yourself. So, um, but that's what, you know, that's, uh, Tim Seeley and I had been talking about if we did a a project together, what type of thing we would do. And that's, you know, we decided, Hey, you know, let's seize this opportunity and just start working on stuff and, you know, not just sit there quietly, not doing anything. Let's get to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, and then this, what you're talking about, you know, the bequest from Aftershock. Now that the first issue came out on March 17th. Um, can, um, can, how did this, how did the book come about? Like did Tim yeah. call you or? It was um, when we were working, when Tim and I were working on Injustice versus Masters of the Universe, Tim impressed me with his knowledge of the He-Man lore. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, he came up with some really clever narrative tricks to kind of get us into the, into the crossover. And what I mean is in a general crossover, there's a, um, you know, you as the reader know who the good guys are, the bad guys, but the, the good guys and bad guys don't necessarily know who each other are. Yeah. So you can either be kind of labored with um, the good guys trying to suss out if they can trust one another, even though the reader already knows they can trust each other. Mm -hmm. um, or you can tr try to figure out a clever way narratively to skip past that. And uh, Tim had, had impressed me with how he had set it up where in the, um, in the Swamp Thing universe or in his... Um, his history or whatever there's something called the green which is like this oh yeah <laughs> it's like an interconnected web it's like a it's it's a internet made out of plants or you know something like that and yeah. there's no there's no dishonesty there's only like communication of information and um uh that's a cool concept in it by itself that already existed but uh tim was able to use that to connect to moss man who's a character plant based sort of character in uh, master of the universe and so Basically, they could see through the green since everyone trusted Swamp Thing and everyone trusted Moss Man uh, through the green. They kind of verified the trust of each other. And then so we could just get on with the story. And I uh, that might be feel like a small thing. But I when I was reading the first script of that, um, it just impressed me. I was like, that's really clever. We can just jump into the action now uh, mm -hmm. into the greater story. And uh, so when Tim and I would hang out, we went to a couple of press junkets at San Diego Con then later at a, a Power Con. Um, mm -hmm we just started chit-chatting what we would do if we were making our own creator own thing and he was throwing out a bunch of ideas uh, some of which were just so uh oh man i i don't i don't want to uh oh, whatever it's such a it's such a wonky and funny idea that i want to say it but i'm just not going to because i don't want to steal his thunder if he uses oh, it somehow. Yeah. but um anyway though uh we we uh, one of the ideas that we had was what if we had fantasy stuff in a, a modern setting and of course that's been done before but what would we do different and the the line that got me was um when tim said there's a subplot of interdimensional arms trading of firearms for like magic wands and stuff i mean he said it probably better than that but I was like, yeah, that's, that's a really cool idea. Um, so then we just started building upon that. Um, now, later I found out that actually some of these characters are Tim Seeley's uh, uh, D&D characters from whenever he role-played in, in high school. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the characters were already mostly formed uh, because of that, because he had already done uh, the legwork, you know, 20 years ago. But um, we, we put together just, I started throwing around ideas back and forth and, you know, stuff started to coalesce and then it built from there. <clears throat> and then just for our list, because I've read the first issue, but for our listeners, can you just give me like the elevator pitch of the bequest? I think, I think you already touched upon it already. Yeah. Um, I'm so bad at that. Even though I've said like, cause I said the one line that got me about the international yeah. or uh, interdimensional arms trading, but I don't, there's other themes to it that I'm not sure how to sum all that up, but it's, oh, okay. I mean, it's like an interaction between fantasy, you know, fantasy characters are displaced here in the modern era to, um, to stop the inner, the interdimensional arms trading of magic for guns. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the other subplot stuff is like the bad guy whose name is um, Epoch Kriev. Yes. He's actually my favorite. Him and Relic are my two favorite characters to draw and just in the story and um epoch is he's a bad guy but his oh man i don't want to give away <laughs> don't give away like i just want to i just want to oh. talk about how cool he don't. is but his, okay yeah 
No. <laughs> because I'm going to say because now, let me talk about because like I said, I read the comic and then um, Relic, now correct me if I'm wrong, I'm hoping I'm seeing the correct um, character. Now, Relic um, is the um, African-American character in the comic book, uh-huh. right? Okay, yes. now I'm not going to spoil, I'm not going <laughs> to spoil his, you know, who he, you know. Yeah. Because it was a now- it was great. <laughs> Good. Yeah. He, he's like, you know, he's very proficient in magic, but visually I like to draw him. Um, I mean, he, he's a cool character, but I like drawing him because he reminds me of back before all this stuff came out about Bill Cosby and stuff. Yeah. Um, it feels like I'm drawing Cliff Huxtable. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. That's in my mind. It's like a mix between Cliff Huxtable and Morgan Freeman or something. Um yeah. And I, when I was younger, again, before knowing all this, you know, all this creepy stuff with Bill Cosby, he, you know, Cliff Huxtable was like very much a father figure in mine and a lot of other people's lives. Um, And so it's fun drawing an action book with Cliff Huxtable Mm -hmm. doing magic. There's something about that that's really funny and and fun. Well, okay. And then, um, (laughs) well, okay. All right. So, touch upon. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. I'm gonna touch upon. So, okay. So, you already said that. You know, Tim had already these characters. These were his D and D. Some, most of them were his D and D characters. Correct. Um. So, let me ask you this. Uh, um. How big of a D and D fan were you back in high school? Uh, pretty big. Yeah, we played as a system called AD and D, so Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So it wasn't the very because I'm an old guy, but I'm not quite that old. Um, the I was around for the like the revised rules or whatever it was, um, and I had like three or four friends that we role played five or six different systems, um, but D and D or AD and D was was one of the top three. I think the top three were uh, Marvel. So the one with the column shifts, that role-playing system, um, the uh, AD&D and then Palladium books. But we also played stuff like GURPS and Car Wars and the, D- uh, the, the DC role-playing system and a bunch of other stuff. We just, oh, Shadowrun, all that stuff we played. But um, AD&D was, was um, definitely a big part because we spent, you know, you might spend like a couple of months to a year mm-hmm. in that system playing different characters, but your brain is kind of immersed in that uh, fantasy realm or something and um, this is kind of sort of the off the cuff um did did you like buy the books or did you have the books or you know um i had let's see so i had very few D books i had a friend in high school named brad um who we role played he he ended up buying i don't know probably 15 books or something like the core books and then expansion sort of source books I had the Palladium books. So like my contribution is if we were playing Palladium, I'd bring all those. Yeah. Uh, he had the D&D or AD&D books. Um, then we had another friend, um, my best friend in high school at the time was named Tyrone Crockett. He had all the Marvel books, mm-hmm. uh, all the, uh, and then uh, we would just pick up other stuff as we went. But yeah, I didn't, I don't think I owned even a single D&D book, but um, I had, I have an awful lot of D&D character. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> let's see. Um, you already talked about, like, you know, again, going back to the characters in the bequest that, you know, most of them were um, Tim's creation. Um, yeah. Did you come up with any of the characters? 
um, no, I came up with, um, I, I never, I didn't come up with any of the characters as far as like from, from scratch or whole cloth. I did all the visual designs. Um, I contributed to, um, so the part of what Epoch's um, main motivation is, is uh, like there's a deity that he had devoted his life to and um, that deity essentially forsook forsaken i don't know how to say that in the past no. tense but um he forsook <laughs> the uh the sort of clerics guild or you know the house that that epoch was a part of when he was a much younger devoted devout individual um and so that character that god the deity that we're talking about his name sworn the all-seeing so his yes. motif is like about the all-seeing eyes and stuff yeah um and so uh, the closest i got to creating a character from scratch was like that was very much a castaway or like a off the cuff um, description by Tim of who, what sworn this deity would look like um, or what, what his role was. And once I turned in the character design form, uh, Tim was like, whoa, this guy is so much cooler than he was in my mind. We have to use him more. Mm -hmm. So he's becoming a bigger, not that he's like in throughout the, the, the story a whole bunch, but he just became less of a throwaway and more of an important or imposing um impetus for the for the story so um but no i did not create any character from from scratch um whole cloth or whatever but i did design all them visually and then we talked about the motivations and that sort of thing and what the roles would be in the story okay so um for um you know for this series did you know did since you and tim worked together before did would tim give you like full scripts or just here, hey, you know, I've got this idea. He jotted down plot ideas, or how did that work? Um, yeah, he gave me full scripts. Uh, Tim is very open to collaboration and to suggestion and to revision, but I think his brain works where he needs to have a, he needs as a writer to write it in full to know if he's going overboard with the amount of um exposition or whatever so it, it becomes a full i mean it's a full script and it's you know incredibly useful it's the backbone of what i need but i think in a way he needs it to be full just for him to make sure his pacing's good um but he was also very open if i i thought i could combine a couple of panels into one uh, there was a couple times where i could see like he might have written something for three to four panels but i thought if i did kind of like a collage image yes where they don't have individual panel borders and they're overlapping images and it's like a part of a close-up of a face and then there's like a small minivan driving and stuff like that where it can show the passage of time and a conversation that's happening he was very open to all that all those types of changes so um so a full script but very flexible with how i was interpreting it okay um i know now correct me if i'm wrong so I know, you know, of course, we already talked about, you know, how you played D&D in high school. Now, yeah. if I'm wrong, you, actually, you and Kiki are big ElfQuest fans, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, you have a, you have a good memory. Um, yeah, the uh, ElfQuest was like one of the things that, um, that kind of bonded us in our very first ever long form conversation. Um, so Kiki and I went to the same high school, Washington High School in uh, Wyandotte County in Kansas. And, uh, but she's, a, she's two years younger than me in school. So, um, and I had very few friends. I hardly spoke to anyone in, in school or whatever. But we had a class together called Principles of Technology, which sounds very sophisticated, but it was just like hands-on sort of um, how to use an electrical meter to measure voltage and 
stuff like that. So there was a little bit of physics and a little bit of electronics and mechanics in it. Anyway, this class together that we had, we spoke a little bit and I really liked her sense of humor because Kiki is a very funny, very strong willed and no nonsense person. And I love that type Mm -hmm. of personality. And so we, uh, we spoke a little bit in there, but not by much. And we, you know, I had no social group really. And she was very popular um, in school. And then a couple of years later, after I had graduated and then the year she graduated, which was 97, um, we had like an overlapping friends group. And so we got reintroduced and this, we had this like epic four hour conversation on the phone one night where it didn't start off to be that way. We were just going to twist that. But um we were talking about her, like, cause she, she reads all the time and she, she's read Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit a bunch of times. And I had never read that. I still haven't. And then I said, well, I haven't read that stuff, but I was really into this book called Elf Quest. and Elf Quest, as an aside, when I was 14 or whatever, when I saw it, um, was one of the books that made me want to draw comic books for a living. Wendy Penny, who draws it was way ahead of her time with the, you know, the type of visual influences and her storytelling. Uh, She's a fantastic artist and great. It was great story as well. Um, And Kiki was, although she was a part like of a very popular group of kids in school, she was kind of a closet geek because those things were not as mainstream as they are now. Um, So she would read all these things, but kind (laughs) of, but not talk about them to her friends and stuff. Um, So ElfQuest, whenever I mentioned that, she was like, oh yeah, I love ElfQuest. And I was like, what? Because I'd never met anybody who'd ever read ElfQuest before because I you know, didn't really talk to many people. But to me, it just felt like I'd met a billion people and she was the only person who knew about it. Um, and then she goes, yeah, there was like, uh, there was this book, an ElfQuest book that I always checked out from the library. And then somebody ended up checking it out, never returning it. You know, they stole it. And I was like, yeah, I'm the one who stole it. I am the one who stole that book that Kiki used to check out from the library um mm-hmm. and when and she was like huh uh, and and so i ended up you know i had it on hand and i actually looked at the library card and it had her name in it mm-hmm. in the back of that book that i had stolen so um uh, this was elf quest book three it's a reprint you know like a a trade yes. a oversized trade and um it's a wonderful book i mean i i suggest anybody who's listening to go pick up elf some elf quest stuff it's beautiful work mm-hmm. um and uh, now on a side note, I did, I did contact that library and ended up paying for that book. And I had to pay like 40 something dollars, which is like twice as much as what the book would have been worth brand new. Uh-huh. It was like heavily used. It's all curled up. We still have the book, but it's definitely not in new condition. So I ended up having to pay in the long run a lot more for the book, but it has like a sentimental uh, connection or value to it because Kiki and I bonded over this book um when she saw it again when i showed it to her she like hit not not hard but she hit me on the shoulder and was like you jerk <laughs> because you stole this book you know like this is the book that i wanted to check out and i couldn't because you stole it <laughs> no but i mean freddie thank you very much for sharing that story because um, <laughs> i'm gonna let our listeners know because um the um, podcast that i listened because you shared that story on that podcast spoiler Spoiler country, it's it was such a great story. That's why if you did and thank you for sharing that again. I thought what's pretty cool about that story, it's almost kind of like that that old saying, like, you know, um, ships passing in the night, you know, type of deal. <laughs> it's like you it's kind of like you said, it's like you would borrow it, 
then you know Kiki would borrow it, and then you guys bonded over that book. And it's so what's really cool was you guys you kept the book. You know, who, who cared about the monetary amount, but it was just more of a sentimental value that yeah that that it was that's just pretty cool. Yeah. And we've purchased, we've purchased like the, the other reprints that kind of went in that same series. So they're like these brand new, much more pristine looking books mm -hmm. next to this one that's just all beat up that will just, and I even asked her, I was like, do you, I was like half heartedly asking her, do you want to get rid of this and get a new one? She was like, no, no, this is our book. So um, I was, you know, and I, I'm cool with that. Kiki's very, um, no, she's awesome. So I was, I was about to describe just a few elements of her personality but she's um i don't know we're, we're joined at the hip all the time we just we work together travel together and yes. and you know uh live together obviously but even whenever i've got like a free evening i'm just like hey let's hang out and she's like are you sure you don't want to go do something either you know are you sure you don't want to hang out with other people i was like no i just i can't get enough of you so <laughs> we just hang out together that's really nice no that is really nice so that's <laughs> That's going to lead me to my next few questions. So, um, since you and Kiki are big ElfQuest fans, mm -hmm. any of the um, was was any of the ElfQuest did it influence um, any scenes in the Bequest? I'm not just talking about issue one, and don't spoil anything like anything upcoming. <laughs> or... No, honestly, it, it, I don't think it does. I mean, ElfQuest in the way that I was so heavily influenced by Wendy Penny's work that mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a little bit of Wendy Penny's artistic DNA built inside of me, you know, from a long time ago. Um, but no, like it, visually, the elves do not look like the ElfQuest elves. That would be something I would have loved to draw on. Um, mm -hmm. And for anyone who hasn't seen ElfQuest, um, <clears throat> in D&D, the elves were like six foot plus. They're very slender and tall. They're they're more like Galadriel and Lord of the Rings, that type of an elf. Mm -hmm. um, the elves in ElfQuest, they have a, a kind of a, a group or a, a race of elves um, called the High Ones that are like that. They're actually even taller and more wispy and very thin. Mm -hmm. um, but the, mo the majority of the elves are like very small. They're like around the... I think they're like three and a half foot tall or something. And they have three, three fingers and a thumb. Um, <clears throat> and they have a kind of a seventies aesthetic as far as the, now the book was made in the, you know, mid to late seventies and then through the eighties, but they have kind of a, it just works really well. They were they're, They've kind of got bell bottoms, but everything has like, you can see where the, the leather uh, leggings have been stitched together mm -hmm. and um, like vests that, kind of feel like maybe it can, comes out of like um, classic rock or something, maybe from that aesthetic. But I would have, uh, I could draw that stuff from memory because I drew it so many times when I was younger. Um, and eventually I want to draw some book that has elves that are inspired from that uh, visual uh, lineage. But no, this is much more in the D&D &D realm as far as elves and other uh, races. Halfling, uh, there's a halfling in here, an elf, a deity, there's a Oh, a couple, there's a dragon, eh, just stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, sorry, I'm I'm running off the beaten no. track, track here for from your question. No, 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 that that's fine. Um, and I'm just gonna ask, and you know, did Kiki, did Kiki throw any ideas? Um, actually, <laughs> let me let me step back. Was Kiki excited to hear that you're gonna do like this fantasy? Um, 
you know, this book about fantasies and so forth, the bequest. Was she excited about that? Yeah. Uh, what Kiki said was that she wants, she's like, I'm excited to see you do things that you've wanted to do. And that includes drawing fantasy. So, I mean, she, she didn't say it as, that was like the underlying message of what she yeah. was saying. So what she was saying was, I know you've wanted to draw fantasy for a while. Are you going to get to draw the stuff you want? And I was like, yeah, some of the stuff. I mean, it's yeah. like that there's a creator owned thing I have in mind where I might just write it, pencil ink it, you mm -hmm. know, color it, whatever, just all of it that would maybe have everything. Yes. Um, but it would be, it might just fall flat on its face because it's, it would be too weird, you know, too, too many amalgams of things because it's the stuff that I just want to combine together mm -hmm. or whatever. So this has a more grounded, mm -hmm. if you can, you know, there's literally, you know, magic and dragons and stuff like that in the story that it's still grounded in some way because there's, uh, it still takes place in our world and there's like AK-47s and stuff like that in yes, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Kiki was, was excited for me. And she also said, are you going to have a chance to draw any horror stuff? Because like, does this veer into the sort of mm -hmm. dark horror slasher, or just whatever, just because mm -hmm. that's something else that I want to draw. And I said, no, not this one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I would love to draw something like that as well. So, uh, yeah, she, she's just a supportive person in general. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for answering that question. So the horror stuff, I'm going to get back to you in a little bit. But um, I'm just going to ask, did Kiki throw out, you know, did she throw out any suggestions? Like, hey, you know, if, wouldn't it be cool if you did one scene where they're here on Earth? Or did, did she, you know, throw out any scenes to you for you to draw or anything for the book? No, um, she did not throw out any scene ideas. Um, most of most of the scene, because like uh, Tim basically came with a, um, a, a through line of a plot, mm -hmm. and then I threw out a couple of ideas, and then I just told Kiki about it afterwards. Okay. Um, I was showing her designs and stuff as we went, and she would say, um, "Oh yeah, there's another character uh, character type in here. It's a fairy." Sorry, I just remember that. Uh, but so she would say like that's cool and then she would sometimes say well this other show that i'm watching which i can't remember at this time as she said the name um like she would say make sure not to go too far into this type of idea because mm -hmm. that's already happening in the show okay. and because that's something i wasn't watching so um and i was like yeah we're not going that way but it was like her just looking out for us to make sure we didn't go down a already established plot you know oh no but yeah no but that's really good that she's kind of like uh that's good that she's kind of keep you guys on track because I yeah. can see where if someone reads a book or like, hey, that was in whatever show, you know, it, it kind of, it might pull the reader out for a little bit. So, but that's it could, yeah. And it's hard to avoid that. I have to be honest from on a, the creative side of things, so much has been already created that, you know, there's the, there's like, there are times that you go, I'm, I'm hitting this vibe and it works because even though you've seen it in a few places, it's like a, a new twist on it. Uh, but you're still touching on something that somebody else has done in the past. Um, and then, and then on the other side of that line is this is just too close to that other thing. Um, but then if you go too far afield where you're, you know, combining two things that are too far apart, um, it then feels like it's jarring. So there's like a very fine rope to, to walk on these things. But um, I think we've done it, at, you know, in bequest. I mean, I, I know I, when reading, you know, uh, what Tim had written, I never felt like that this was derivative of anything else. I actually felt like, oh, that's cool. I can't wait to draw that. Like, uh, there was different parts of the story that I was like, I wish that this could be expanded to 10 more pages just mm -hmm. so I could indulge, indulge myself. Mm -hmm. you 
<laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Um, last question about um, the bequest before I move on. So how fun is it to be on a creator-owned book? How fun is it to play in your own, you know, your, you, know, you and Tim to play in your guys' own sandbox? Yeah. Um, let's see. So uh, we're working with Aftershock Comics, which is a independent publisher and but it, that it, it's, it's run and owned uh, by Mike Martz, who was an editor I've worked with at DC and at Marvel. Um, I love Mike. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. Just on a personal level, we, even when we weren't working together, we would occasionally just check in on each other to see you know, how each other are doing. And um, we'd see each other at shows and stuff. So uh, it, he's, Mike is very open about letting the creators do their thing. Um, and he wants to be like looped in to what's happening but I've never seen him put down an idea or veto an idea. Um, he's been very flexible because yeah, I was talking about how that we moved. Yes. Um, all yes. of that disrupted some of the schedule, but we started very far in advance. So actually like issue one just came out and I'm almost done with issue four now. So that's mm -hmm. quite a bit of lead time. Um, and uh, he's been very open with just letting us do what we wanted to do. So there was even a, a double page spread that shows the, the history of um, Epoch, the, yes. the main villain in this, that um, it's pretty, it's just kind of weird, like mm -hmm. weird in a, in a way that I wanted to draw. It's like the character's dead center in the middle, which is something yes. that you don't usually do. And then on the left-hand side, um, his origin, his history is told in, um, if you've ever, this, this is gonna sound really strange, but in the medieval times, there was something called the illuminated manuscripts that were um, and this is in reality. This is not just something I made up, but it's like these really ornate stories, or sometimes it would be used to illustrate, um, you know, biblical stories, but other times it was just like history of other things happening, like about a king or his lineage. But it's there's like all this ornate decoration drawn in like the borders um, and in the margins and stuff. And so we use that as an influence on the left-hand side telling Epoch's history. And then on the right-hand side, mm -hmm. it's like it jumps ahead to the modern day because now he's in, in this story or whatever, it, he's now found a way to breach the world and come into our realm. Mm -hmm. And um, so then it goes to like security camera footage yes. and the, the edges of, I mean, this is probably nothing that I anybody else would pick up on, but what I'm, it's like the edges of his body are making all the panel borders yes. kind of conform around them. And um, the, the edges of the security camera footage, I, I drew it. Hopefully people could pick up on it that it almost feels like it's glitching or something because it can't yeah. like he's, he's too intense. That's <laughs> such a, um, these are the things that keep us entertained at three in the morning when you're drawing, cause you're trying to hit your deadline. You know, it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. He's so intense that even the video camera footage can't quite touch the outside of his body. I don't know. It's yeah. so weird, but um, that's the kind of thing. If I had turned that in at DC, I'm almost positive. They would say, we can't put a, a character right in the middle of the, of the uh, spine um, because you have to like, basically you have to do some stuff in the printing to make sure that you can see both sides of the figure. Yeah. And, um, but you know, Mike Marsh was like, yeah, that's cool. You know, he, he was just totally, um, on board for it. And just as long as we were enjoying it. And I think as long as he could see a reason behind it, then, uh, he was very open. So anyway, it's just, it takes, there's, there's a freedom that comes with it. Um, there are some additional pressures that come with freedom where you're like, oh, wow, I'm used to having these confines. Now I don't have those confines 
am I going to go crazy? <laughs> am I going to go crazy with this? Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, and I, I enjoy doing the creator owned stuff and I, I could see myself doing more of this, you know, on other projects or more issues of bequests. It's just, it's fun to get to do, to have your suggestions taken more seriously and stuff. Yeah. No, but yes. And I, I know this is, we're using the audio and I'm looking through, um, the bequest, um, the first issue, and I'm looking at that, that double page spread. It's incredible. I love it. And then what's That's really funny. nice is that, um, uh, Epcot, how his character, because it, it's perfectly centered, even though, you know, there's the, you know, the page separating, but it's, it's perfectly centered. It's really nice. And then, Which then is, sorry, and, go ahead. And sorry, and on on his left side, the computer, um, the security cameras. Now I see, now I see like the little glitches around, like his that uh, shorter pad armor. That I didn't catch that, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that silly? I mean, it's oh. uh, it's it's fine that it's there. It, to me, it's silly because, like in my mind, it's a big. It to me, it feels like this big creative breakthrough like when i'm doing it i'm like wow that'd be a cool idea um, but i it's it's easily overlooked because it's just not very obvious you know no but it's also it's also cool too because like you know after the security footage you it kind of go you know i'm looking down about how you know he's using all the weapons from our world you know um into you know his realm but then what's really mm -hmm. nice is that like sort of like the 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 kind of like the pages um um, his background origin page under the security camera, you can see all the little like either burnt holes or the like, burns. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it match, but it kind of matches because that's great with like it matches and it makes sense with the security camera being glitchy in our tech, you know, for our technology. So it's pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, 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 he's so intense that metaphorically he's burning the parchment that his, because those, those two pieces of parchment are more like his goal. It's almost yeah. like that's what he wants in his mind. So this is like, oh, you're almost peeking into his journal in a way. Obviously, yeah. he wouldn't grab these things, but but his intensity is burning the paper or something. You know, he, he has such a passion to want to, you know, achieve his goal. Yes. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's starting to, it's it's glitching the, the video stream and it's burning the parchment. <laughs> oh, that's, it's pretty cool. All right. Thank you, Freddie. Okay, so I'm going to start moving on. Um, I'm going to ask, can you promote your website? Yes, yeah. Um, it's freddieart.com. My, uh, my name is spelled with an I-E, so F-R-E-D-D-I-E-A-R-T.com. And I've got, um, I mean, there's a lot of work, artwork on there that you can just look at. There's some pretty good resolution scans that people can just look through all of my, just look for the original art section. You can look through stuff. Even if you don't buy stuff, there's price tags on there, but there's, I even kept up the artwork that I already sold just so people could look at it if they wanted to. Um, uh, because there's something I, I really enjoy about seeing the texture and ink wash. And a lot of that work is in ink wash, which is like diluted India ink. It kind of looks a little bit like a watercolor. Um, there's also um, like little poster prints and there's comic books and, you know, sketchbooks and that stuff for sale if anyone's interested, but that's, um, there's a lot of that you can look at just for free as well. Now going back to the, to the comic books and like, um, the, um, excuse me, the comic books and so forth. Um, correct me if I'm, because I looked through the website. Um, correct me if I'm wrong because you autograph it and it comes with a certificate of authenticity. Is that correct? 
Um, everything comes autographed for free. The certificate came with um, only certain books. So uh, it'll, it'll say if it comes with that or not. Um, and part of that was um, there was for some time, like a, uh, with the Batman Ninja Turtles books, especially, there was a lot of variant covers and stuff. And there was some, not an issue, but there was some importance at some point being put on if this came out of my personal collection or if this was just a batch of stuff that I, I don't know, had gotten from someone like a publisher or something and then, and then just, you know, signed and sent out. So, um, uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, there's a chunk of the Batman Ninja Turtles books, uh, that are either signed by just me or signed by both me and Kevin Eastman, the co-creator of the Ninja Turtles, uh, that have, that come with a certificate of, it's a certificate that authenticates it's, um, the authentic, authenticity of it, but yeah. also that it came out of my personal collection. Okay. No, but I think that's pretty cool because, you know, because I, it's kind of cool. So it's like, you know, if, I, um, if, uh, you know, um, a fan wants to buy something from your website, at least they know it's like, if it's signed, you have that certificate of authenticity. So that's, that's pretty cool that you, you know, on some of your books, that's, I think that's really good. Um, also too, on your website, you also have tutorials. Can you just mm -hmm. go over like, you know, go over that, like what, what does it cover and so forth? Yes, I have. Um, so I, I wrote the book, the DC comics guide to digitally drawing comics uh, many years ago. And, um, the way that I work is still very much as I describe in that book. So like the ink hybrid method where you're doing a digital layout and then uh, printing out that layout either in light blue or gray or black, depending on what you're doing. And then you ink right on your board. So it, it basically keeps your board clean from, you didn't erase a ton of times on it and your layout is hopefully better. Um, but the reason I bring that up is, you know, I'm not even selling that book, <laughs> but yeah, you can, you can get it on Amazon or something. Um, but, the reason I bring it up is because that book led to just other, other tutorial stuff. So I have a section on my site called uh, WIP, so Work in Progress Art, and it's got um, uh, two columns of links. I need to update the links, but um, there's because there's a few more demonstrations that I haven't had a chance to put up there. But where you can watch uh, videos that I've made, or um, there's a guy named Evan Burse who runs a uh, YouTube channel called Comic Block. Mm -hmm. And Evan would, uh, back when we had conventions a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> he would come to San Diego Con when I was there because we used to attend every year. And he would um, basically have this camera rig where he would do a time lapse of me drawing a piece for him. And uh, I would show the tools I was using. Every time I would switch tools, I'd hold it up to the camera so you can get an idea, mm -hmm. hopefully, of what tools equal what part of the job. Yes. And uh, but I also made my own videos as well. And uh, some of these are time-lapsed and then some of them are just heavily edited down, but in real time. So anyway, uh, those are the tutorials. Um, there's also a section of DigiArt quick tools that have um, yes. some tools for sale. Those are usually for use in Adobe Photoshop, which is the digital program I use. Um, and then there's also a couple of uh, like free tutorials kind of a you know, sprinkled in amongst the DigiArt Quick tools as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, now this is from John Mayo from the Comic Book Page podcast. Um, yeah. Actually, the Comic Book Page podcast. Um, he's asking, like, since conventions have been on hold since March of last year, are you accepting any requests to do commissions at this time? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as as long as there's kind of an understanding that it's going to be in between my regular um, deadline schedule work, mm-hmm. then and so it might take two or three months or something for me to finish the piece. Um, then yeah, definitely. I have a I have a link on my website on the left hand nav bar that says commissions, and it gives the standard sizes and standard rendering and um, you know that sort of stuff. So you can just see the price list. And, um, but if there's like a specific thing that you have in mind, you can just, there's links to my email to, you know, shoot me an email from my website and, um, just let me know what you have in mind. And then we can talk about the specifics. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start, I'm going to continue on some right now. My next set of questions is going to be looking towards the future. Yeah. You, and no spoilers or anything. It's, you can just, it's going to be like one of those simple yes and no questions. <laughs> so do you have any other projects lined up besides the bequests? Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, 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 now, now, next question. So, around. Now, um, I know you and Kiki are big horror fans. So, um, would you like to do a horror comic sometime in the future? Absolutely. Yes. There was right when we got back from Australia um, last year, um, whenever everything else had been canceled, uh, one of my previous editors who was who's now turned into a writer a guy named peter tomasi who he was he's the one who gave me my first job at dc comics um on seven soldiers mr miracle and on robin and stuff and um he's now a a writer and a pretty popular one and he contacted me about a horror book that um sean cunningham who's the one who co-created uh friday the 13th that movie series um sean cunningham had this idea of doing this comic and I was going to be the artist on it. <clears throat> um, and we were basically two steps away from starting. Like we already had a, uh, well, whatever. It, it, oh man, it, I just really want to draw that. <laughs> but we, uh, um, we got very close and then with just complications of, of all the lockdown and stuff, I think it just, his production company kind of got cold feet with it. So we ended up having to, we put it on hold for like a couple months and then it just got canceled eventually. So, um, but anyway, yes, I, I'm just saying I've had a couple of near misses. Um, I've been talking to uh, a couple of publishers who specialize in just horror to talk about what, what it is that I have in mind yes. or what, what kind of project, I, because I don't know if I could just write it myself, but maybe they already have a project that just has the same sort of vibe of what I'm looking for. So anyway, yes, I would love to do a horror book or a horror, horror series or something um horror and fantasy i love superhero stuff don't get me wrong yeah. but i've been drawing it for like 15 or 16 years so i would love to keep going in the the fantasy and the horror uh, route okay and then i know you said that you know you you're thinking about correct me if i'm wrong you're thinking about maybe either writing it or maybe teaming up with someone to write that you know a possible horror series or a mini series who would you like to team up with writer-wise oh wow i honestly don't know i I have had i've had so much experience working with writers who who are really good at different things in the superhero Mm -hmm. sort of tropes that that sort of neighborhood i'm not really sure at right at this moment who i might want to what name i would put out there to work on a on a horror thing i'm not really sure um I mean, working with Sean Cunningham, the Friday the 13th guy, that was, of course, a very exciting proposition um, where we'd be working with him, but Peter Tomasi was going to be writing the the actual story. Um, That was, you know, going to be perfect, but um, I'm not sure 
Okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, if I could just name a name, it'd be like Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King, which Joe Hill, Stephen King's son. But I mean, he's amazing just on his own. Uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, even Grant Morrison, I think, because he gets sometimes into weird body horror stuff and some of his weird scripts. So, um, yeah, but those are those names are in such high demand. I don't know how realistic that is. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. OK. Um, now, Drew, from the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast, he sent this question because now we're, we're just going to be shifting gears right now. So okay. where do you see the comic book industry going in 2021? I do not know. Okay. It's, it's like, it's like um, knowing the lay of the land previously, but then this big heavy fog has obscured everything. And then it, it's like caused the landscape to shift. So um, I'm just not sure. I really don't know because when lockdown first happened, it was the idea was that, you know, we're talking two or three months max. Let's delete delay things for four months just to be safe. And then, because that's what all the convention type, you know, all the convention organizers were, were emailing to each other. Yes. And um, then it's like, oh, oops, I guess we just have to cancel. Well, let's postpone until early 2021. And then all those are going, well, let's just cancel for this year. I don't know what else to do. Yes. So I really don't know either. Um, the while um, during, you know, during the quarantine and stuff, there was a bunch of layoffs at, Warner Brothers, not just in DC Comics, but Warner Brothers owns DC. And there was like D, uh, Warner Brothers at large let go of, I think, like 200 people or something. And so a, a chunk of those people came from DC, but a bunch of their own Warner Brothers people. And um, I'm assuming there'll be, you know, uh, fewer books, fewer mainstream books. Um, but I really just don't know. Uh, those, are the only, those are the only certainties that I know, but it's facts that are already in evidence, so to speak. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself in a year or two from now? Career-wise. Oh, career-wise. Uh, let's see. Um, I see myself doing a few more creator-owned books. And I don't know. Hope, hopefully having a little bit more input on the story end of things. Um, I enjoy co-plotting with uh, with writers, even if it's like in a non-official capacity where like some, some publishers have this thing where, you know, if, if somebody's listed specifically as a plotter, they have to receive some sort of monetary benefit. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't sound bad on the surface, but it t usually takes it away from the writer mm -hmm. uh, because they're saying, well, if this person is doing some of your writing job, you mm -hmm. don't as much of that rate. Um, and that's not really my goal, but I, it's not to get the money from the writer. It's more like, uh, what JT Kroll and I did on Captain Adam, which was, uh, that was probably the most interactive of a project that I've worked on um, that wasn't creator owned, <clears throat> pardon me. And that was where, you know, we just, we talked on the phone about, you know, 30 ideas or something, mm -hmm. just random stuff. And as we went, we were both making notes of what we thought had a better chance of being cool or working. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Usually JT would write up while I was getting back to drawing, he would write up um, sort of a summary of what he thought would work. And then he'd send it to me and I would bounce stuff back and forth. <clears throat> and it's not like he was asking me what I wanted to do to ask for permission. It was very much a JT, you are the writer, you have veto power, 
but thank you for letting me make suggestions. That was very much how it was. Uh, and we've had, a, we've had a little bit of that with um, James on the second volume of Batman Ninja Turtles and other projects in general that they're open to input. But that was the most input I got to do on, an, uh, on, a, on a project in recent history was with JT. Um, so I, I want to do more of that kind of thing, just yeah. the, where there's more of a back and forth. I think both of us benefit from that because I get to, you know, have, I don't know, more of a feeling of, of um, fulfillment and that I've gotten to contribute. I'm usually getting to draw things, more of the things that I want to draw. And then usually the writer, I think what they get out of it is sometimes just having your, your ideas discussed yes. will, you know, between two people will bring about better ideas. It's like it, mm -hmm. it starts to hone some of the motivations of the characters and, and it might generate or negate scenes uh, here and there. So anyway, uh, I would like to do that kind of thing. But as far as a specific project, I mean, I would love to draw a, a Ninja Turtles solo project where it's either, you know, a one shot or a mini series, um, uh, even a GI Joe thing. I love Cobra Law and Serpentor and all that stuff from the GI Joe animated movie. That's, you know, I'd love to draw a Transformers thing. I'd love to draw more Batman. It's, it's all open. I don't know. I'm just trying to ride the waves and <laughs> figure yeah. out what I'm doing here. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to start going into the fun questions part, and that's a great segue. I know this is off the cuff. I didn't because um, you talked about G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of the action figures? <laughs> I do have a few. Um, I had a whole bunch when I was younger. Of mm -hmm. I had a couple of Ninja Turtles Yes. But I had a lot of He-Man and Thundercats, um, and I ended up uh, giving some away and then selling some at a garage sale. So <clears throat> our collection now is, is you know, Kiki will occasionally get me like a Batman black and white statue um, or, you know, and those aren't really like, can't play with those, but they're just oh, cool looking. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, let's see, I have, uh, actually the majority of my collection is from what people have brought me at conventions where... You know, uh, somebody who likes the artwork that I do, they'll they'll come up and bring me either an action figure that made them think of my art or sometimes a custom figure. I have a custom Robin that looked just like the Tim Drake that I drew. Um, or they'll bring up, a, you know, just like a little, um, uh, what are they, like a placard or something that has the characters that I've expressed interest in. So that's the majority of our collection is, is stuff that family members have given us for gifts or that we've gotten at conventions you know, as gifts as well. Sounds like you have amazing fans. <laughs> I hesitate to use the word fans because it feels weird to say I have any fans at all. That's like a weird feeling. So I usually say like people who collect my work or okay. readers that like the comics, but that doesn't, that's not to correct you, by the way, no. you can say whatever you want, but I'm, that's, that's why I usually don't. <laughs> it's just like, I'll say I'm a fan of other things, but yes. it feels weird to say, Yes, my fans. That's <laughs> such a strange thing. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. I'm going to continue on with the fun questions. Now, Great. Um, um, now, I'm going to try to pronounce this artist's name because if I remember correctly, he was like kind of like a, inf uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was like a big influence um, for you as a comic book artist. Travis... Sh <laughs> yeah yeah um it's 
so I've pronounced it, I've pronounced it probably 12 different ways. And I just mispronounced the word pronounced. So, you know, I, it's, it's easy to, to get it wrong. I believe it's Chere is mm-hmm. the last yes. I believe it's a French pronunciation, but I don't even know that for sure. I used to, when I first saw his name in print, it was Travis Cherist. That's yeah. how I would say it. Cherist with this really hard consonant. Um, but, but, you know, let's just sidestep if we got the correct pronunciation but yeah travis's work is amazing um his work there was a certain time frame in um the mid 90s that his work evolved in the course of about a year it evolved over like what you would normally expect to happen in a decade it just kept evolving and he went through so many like a rainbow of of rendering styles and uh, compositions and complexities where at the very beginning he was admittedly very much influenced by Jim Lee, like almost a Jim Lee clone. There were some pages that just looked just like a Jim Lee drawing, you know? Um, And I'm I'm a huge Jim Lee fan. So even that was appealing. And then he started moving towards a, like the faces started changing in the proportions and structure, less rendering or different types of rendering. Then he went to this very blocky, almost abstract way this was on Wildcats throughout issues like uh, 14, 15, 16, but he did other stuff too, um, where it went into this almost like an abstract um, negative space. Almost everything was negative space or like these very strong compositions though, very good compositional eye. And then he went back to like this super heavy rendered style, but being influenced by Mobius, yeah. um, the artist. And that was on X-Men uh, Wildcats mm-hmm. um, gold or silver i can't remember it's the one where they're in world war ii and it's zealot and wolverine and stuff um just amazing stuff and Mm -hmm. then he went to eventually went into like fully painted work when he went to work on uh meta barons which is a french uh french production uh this oversized books uh that uh jodorowsky had written and it's i mean that whole I'm on board for all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's all fantastic. And the very first time I saw his work was in the back of a book called Wildcats Trilogy. Number two It's drawn by Jay Lee, not Jim Lee, but Jay Lee has this very scratchy um, abstract horror. Actually, he, he would do some really good horror stuff. Um, And in the back of that book, there was a a four page preview of Wildcats, uh, a book called Wildcat Special, which was like an annual, like a uh, 50-page annual or something that was going to come out. And these were, is a four-page preview, and it was just the black and white line art, so just the inks, no colors on it. And when I first flipped to it, one of those pages looks a lot like Jim Lee, like a ton like Jim Lee. And I thought, oh, cool. It's like, you know, I'm getting to see a preview of Jim Lee's, you know, artwork that Scott Williams had inked. And then I flipped, flipped back a page to get to the credits where it said what this was from, and it said penciler travis charay inker scott williams and it um it's like i was staring at that book those preview pages slack jawed and i thought this is a brand new artist and and in my mind i thought this was his first published work like this guy just came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and this was this you know ama- i almost cursed just then um <laughs> this amazing artwork um and this, I just assumed this was his like freshman endeavor, you know, his very first work out there. That's not the case, but it actually demoralized me where I wanted to stop drawing. I felt like um, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It, it just knocked me back and made me think I can't compete with this guy. Oh my God. It's just so good. Um, and even now it's way better than the stuff that I do. If any, you know, all you guys should go collect the old 
you know, Travis Charest stuff. He doesn't do a whole lot of work now. It's just like covers and stuff. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the, the wealth of his work is from back in the mid nineties. Um, and, uh, but then it, you know, it's like it, be, it went from being intimidating to inspirational mm-hmm. and it has remained inspirational since then. I love his work. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, since then I did see some of his older work that was still quite good for mm-hmm. a new artist, yes. but it was a far cry from his more developed work and, um, so that, that kind of reinforces, okay, everyone comes from somewhere, at least, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he, he didn't just pop out of the womb fully formed, yeah. um, like he was, you know, a deity jumping mm-hmm. from Cronus's uh, stomach, like in the Greek mythology, you know, fully formed, ta-da! Um, anyway, yeah, I love his stuff. How, how come you ask, though? Is, is he an artist that you've been collecting his work, or you recently saw or something? Well, actually, I'm going to say, actually not, because I've seen his um, stuff in the in the 90s but i'll be honest with you back then it's like you know the only names i remember would be like jim lee and stuff like that so sure. and of course you know i remember you mentioned his name a couple of times in podcasts uh i had to look oh. up his work again i was like oh my god i've seen his work before and i you know i recognize you know who he is now yeah. but the reason why i'm asking is for two questions is do you own any original of his artworks nope Oh, oh, actually, I own a sketch card, I guess. So technically, yes, but no, I don't own any originals. I have um, any any time I've seen a, a decent scan of his work online, I'll download it. Uh-huh. And I actually, I still and I still like study that stuff, yeah. um, like uh, like it's a, a textbook or something. You know, I look through and see what material did he use here. Why did he make this choice in the background or something compositionally? Um, but no, uh, other than that sketch card, I don't own any of his work. Now, now, my next question is, have you ever met him? Nope, I have not. Uh, yeah, he, I, I think he lives in France now. We've been in France one time for a convention in late 2018. He was not at that show or anything. And to be honest, I, I think I would, be, I would feel intimidated to go and talk to him and stuff. Um, there's, you know, there's like the, the, the type of God tier in your brain mm-hmm. where it's at. You know, I'm afraid if I go and speak to them, I might make a fool of myself or, you know, what if they don't like me or what if I don't like them? That's even, <laughs> that's even worse outcome. So, um, you know, that's, that's a danger of meeting your heroes. Um, so anyway, no, not, not yet. We'll see maybe one day. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm going to continue on fun questions. Um, on your website, um, I see that you're, now correct me if I'm wrong. Are you a big Phantom fan? Uh, Leaf mm-hmm. off. So that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm a fan of the Phantom. Um, did <laughs> I'm trying to think of how I could um, read to you the forward. Did you ever see the forward? And okay, so in I can't remember what years. A couple years ago, I drew a cover that they used for uh, the cover of a trade paperback. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Did you ever see that or did I talk to you about that? No, I never saw it. And, and when we were at the convention, it was like, you know, because, you know, I didn't want to take too much of your time. So, but no, we never talked about that. So, yeah. Okay. I have to hunt yeah, that. Was, <laughs> yeah, I did a cover. It was great. It was a great experience, you know, um, doing the cover. And then um, Kiki's grandmother, who she's actually visiting right now, uh, who we call Nene, that's like a, a term of endearment, kind of like Yaya, but it's Nene. Um, and uh, when Nene was, she's like 87 currently. And when she was younger, her father owned a general store and they had comic books that 
you could purchase for you know, five cents or 10 cents or whatever it was. Um, but they also had a policy where you could bring in two comic books and trade them in for a brand new, different comic book. So they had a good trade going and they're all beat up and everything, but she has very fond memories of this. And, uh, you know, the Phantom was one of those characters or whatever that she remembered very well from this time in her life. So um, when I was speaking to the publisher about doing this, I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting him to act on this. I just said, I, I relate to him the story I just told you. And I said, I'm very happy to be doing this cover. And he said, oh, well, great. I'll send you a collection book to give to your grandmother, uh, you know, to your wife's grandmother. And I was like, yeah, that's really nice of you. Thank you. So, you know, a couple of weeks later, because it takes a while uh, for shipping, we got this big collected edition of these old classic phantom tales. And I gave them to Nanette. And she, there's, there's this lovely photo of her holding the book with her hand on her chest because it means a lot to her. Like it gives, it gave her a really warm feeling that reminds her of her father, reminds her of the old days. Um, and she did read, you know, she read that. She was telling me, did you know that there's more than one phantom and that it's a, um, a mantle that they pass down, you know? And so she was like telling me details that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a really great experience. Um, so yeah, it was just the one cover I got to draw. I, I wish I could do, you know, more. Uh, with that but it's an Australian publisher I got to see them briefly when we were in Australia last year as well that's so cool thank you for sharing that story okay my next fun question I know you guys are big horror fans have you guys watched any horror movies in the last year and what do you guys recommend what would you recommend to any of our listeners (laughs) oh wow um so our we began all of our um heavy the heavy intensity of our like um what is it renovating our old house and moving and stuff in october unfortunately so we we kind of got cheated on our month-long marathon of watching halloween films because we always do that every year uh usually and um the one so we didn't get to watch as many new uh or old horror films last year uh, but the one that we saw was uh, that that stood out to me because we were just flipping through the channels and I, I'm not going to know anyone's name. So <laughs> I don't know the name of the show. I don't know the name of the actors, but um, we're, we're fans of the TV show Supernatural and the actor who played death in there, one of the horsemen death, who's like this older, very gaunt looking man. Uh, we were flipping through, we were on shutter, uh, mm-hmm. the horror movie streaming service. And as we were just looking around, there was, that actor was on there and he was giving just a very intense uh not performance but he was like monologuing uh, mm-hmm. or having a dialogue with another character and he's just a very watchable actor so we were like what is this because on shutter when you go there usually it defaults to it's just like showing you whatever movies that they're in progress on showing but you can then go and bring up another movie on demand so we found out the name of that movie and then we watched it and it was like about this older man who's the actor who played death and supernatural and his wife who had lost their daughter and granddaughter in an automobile accident and that they're so dedicated to getting them back. Like their, their guilt is so high about their passing in this uh, car accident that they get involved in like this, this uh, cult that's they're trying to like invoke a spirit into a, a body. I, and so they're, they're coming from, and the actors are great. And it's a very, like, just from a creative standpoint, it's called, it, it would be almost like a bottle type movie where it only takes place in like two or three different sets. It's not like this, 
there's no car chases. There's no gun. Well, I'm sorry. There's no big gun battles. There is a gunshot. Um, but it's a great, it's a great movie. Um, so I, I would recommend it if you can track it down from those very nebulous details that I just gave you. It's on Shudder. It's got the actor who played Death and Supernatural, you know, which okay. I look better. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think if there was any others. Uh, but on, like, on Halloween, we just usually watch the Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. And so that was, and it was a beautiful day last year on Halloween. So we had all the windows open at the house and the studio and we're watching Halloween movies all day. It was pretty nice. That's pretty cool. Um, okay. Um, do you want to give a shout out to your um, local comic shops? Sure. Yeah. There are <clears throat> three comic shops that have always supported my work. I like the guys who run up, run them. Um, and if you have a chance, you know, I hope that you support them. So the, the closest one physically to me is Pulp Fiction Comics and Games. Mm -hmm. And it's in Lee Summit, Missouri. And then, um, the next one would be a million comics and that's, they have a couple of different locations, um, but in, in like Overland park. And then there's another one. Um, last but not least is uh, elite comics. Those are the three comic shops that I frequent. Um, and that I, that they've always supported me. I've done signings at all their stores, you know, a while back, of course, before a pandemic. Um, and, uh, yeah. If you guys can support them, that'd be awesome. Okay. Um, also too. Um, what is your favorite takeout place um, in your city? Uh, our favorite takeout place. Oh, and I should start off like if you don't, and just give me a, like what town do you guys, what city do you guys live in right now? Sorry. <laughs> no, we, we actually moved not very far from where we were living previously. So we're still like outside of Kansas City. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, but we're just a little further on the Missouri side. So, but. Um, Let's see, local, recently, I've been enjoying, uh, this is not very sophisticated food, but uh, there's like a convenience store called Casey's, mm -hmm. and they have really, really good cheese pizza, and if you ask them to put on extra cheese, they'll actually do it. Uh, I say that because sometimes if you're ordering uh, like delivery pizza, you'll ask for extra cheese, and it's still like this thin layer of cheese. It's like they never, mm -hmm. they put less, less cheese on it or something, you know, um, which is annoying. So uh casey's but aside from that um there's a a burger place that was very popular and for a while it was only it only existed in new york called shake shack um but they've recently in the last like year or so opened up a couple locations around here oh. and shake shack has just really really it, really good burgers that are on the level or better than five guys for um burgers so if you ever had those i don't know but um Shake Shack was excellent. They have a really good smoked burger. Um, I don't know. And then, I mean, actually my wife Kiki is a heck of a cook. So she, she, what she makes is usually my favorite version of that thing, whatever she's made. It kind of ruins me for other restaurants. So like her falafel and hummus is the best that I've ever had. And her version of Thai food is the best I've ever had. So um, I, I would guess if she ever opens a takeout place, that would be the one. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm going to let you know. So five guys. Yeah. I think in Hawaii, they opened up a couple locations here on Oahu within the last couple of years. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, have you had them before? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about with yeah, five guys? I, yes. I'm going to, okay. because I think last year during the, uh, during the shutdown, me and my wife, we, yeah, we just like ordered um, 
yeah, we ordered a burger, you know, we ordered, you know, we ordered takeout from them just one time. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But now yeah, I think Shake Shack is, you know, maybe edges them out a little bit as far as my favorite burger. Um, but on a side note, when we were there in at the, you know, for the Honolulu show, um, we ate some, <clears throat> um, let's see, Moco Loco. Um, oh, the local mocos, yeah. Yeah, that's spam wasubi. I, I'm going to oh. say all these wrong, I'm no, sure. No. But, um, and what else was it? There was something else, uh, something else that had spam in it. And I, when I was growing up, my mom had always told me, don't even bother with spam. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, she was acting like, my mom was acting like it was a, you know, it's even worse than bologna. You know, bologna is like, something that we would buy. And I like bologna, mm -hmm. but she, you know, didn't want me eating that. And she thought spam was, was worse or whatever. So I had this like undue prejudice against spam when, um, when I was growing up. So I hadn't even given spam a second thought until last year when we were there uh, for the Honolulu show. And I love it. The, mm -hmm. the way it was being prepared was fantastic. And so now we, we regularly have spam, spam fried rice. We have mocha loco with spam um, with some of our breakfasts. She'll make that instead of bacon and the kiki will. Um, it's fantastic. So that, that was all credited to our experience there last year. So just for our listeners, I just want to describe the local mocha. Basically what it is, is like a, it's on a, like there's a pile of rice, pile of brown gravy, and the pen, <laughs> certain restaurants that they'll either give you one hamburger patty or two hamburger patties mm -hmm. and um, a sunny side egg on top of that. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. We introduced it to our, uh, my best friend, Pat, who is, you know, he's like number one. Uh, he, he's a great guy. Um, but he, he came over and Kiki introduced him to it and he ate, I, I, I was shocked by how much he ate that he did not explode his own stomach because it was just, he just couldn't, he was like, Oh my God, I've never had these flavors. I've never had it. And, and that's how I felt too. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just a, it was a delight to see somebody enjoying it so much for the first time. So mm -hmm. that's, wonderful. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to tell our listeners too, it's very fattening. Trust me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not a health food for sure. It's just it's just delicious, you know. Yes. Um, would you like to promote your social platforms before I start wrapping up? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I earlier said freddyart.com. That's the main uh, my main website, and it has links to my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, all that stuff. But um, if you just go, I mean, the, the easiest one to remember is freddyart.com. And then aside from that on Instagram and Twitter, which is where I'm the most, uh, I don't know, the, the most active, um, I'm at freddyart. So uh, Freddy is spelled with an IE. It'd be pretty easy to find. Okay. And then the final question, any last words to our listeners? Oh, thanks for, yeah, thanks for following along with us on this journey. And thanks for being supportive of my work over the years. And, uh, you know, and, and also try your best to have some sense of normalcy in this, in these weird times. It feels like we're on the upswing in a positive way, but you know, it's, it's good to have your interests and hobbies as small escapes from reality, but, you know, but even, st even still reality itself can be, turned into positives even though there's challenges involved so uh that's not me trying to sound wise it's it's partially i have to remind myself of that stuff too mm -hmm. freddie i'm going to say thank you very much for your time 
thank you for agreeing to do this interview. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And yeah, thank you for, for being an awesome host and just for uh, brightening our day whenever we see you online and stuff. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks. That was my interview with Freddie Williams II, co-creator and artist on the bequest from Aftershock Comics. Um, it was great talking to Freddie um, again, you know, about this series. You know, I read the first issue and I loved it. You know, I love Freddie's artwork on the villain Epcot and I love Freddie's um, artwork on dragons in the book. During the interview, I forgot to mention um, that Freddie is also working with colorist Jeremy Cowell. Freddie and Jeremy have worked on, you know, all three Batman Ninja Turtle crossovers. And Jeremy's um, colors in this first, first issue are great. It's very vibrant and it pops off the page. You know, so um, if you guys get a chance, if the first issue is still um, available at your shops, please pick up the first issue. The Bequest number two comes out on April 21st. You know, now the movie that, the horror movie that Freddie was talking about, and I hope I got this right, it's called Anything for Jackson. It came out in 2020, and I believe this is the actor um, that Freddie was referring to that played um, Death in the Supernatural TV series. And that actor's name is Julian Richings. Now, this is the part of the podcast I want to give a few shout outs to. You know, um, I want to thank Freddie for his time. Freddie, thank you very much for your time. And thank you very much for answering my questions. Thank you very much. And also, Freddie, thank you very much for keeping in touch with me, you know, to schedule this interview. Again, Freddie, thank you very much. You know, and for you listeners, please, if you get a chance, check out his website. It's freddieart.com. And it's um, fr. E-D-D-I-E-A-R-T dot com. And we'll have it in the show notes. Now, you know, I also want to thank um, Drew, um, the co-host for Comics for Fun and Profit, for letting me contribute um, to his podcast, you know, and for doing all the heavy lifting behind the scenes and putting this episode together. You know, so Drew, thank you very much. If you are a new listener to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast, please check out their weekly episode that comes out every Saturday. My Ohioan brothers, Drew and Kyle, do spec picks of new releases that comes out every Tuesday and Wednesday. And lastly, you know, I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thank you very much. Until next time, guys. Aloha. <laughs>